the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This from the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians when he was writing to a group of people that said they started by grace, but now in order to stay saved, they must keep the law. And he said, no way. This is Bert Harper and Dr. Alex McFarland. It's our joy to begin this Bible study with you this Monday for the next week or two on the book of Galatians, and I think you'll enjoy it. So we pray that you will get your Bible if you can, and it's where you can uh, follow us. If not, and you're just listening, listen carefully. And hey, Alex, guess what? If they miss it, they can go to the podcast and get information, can't they? Well, they really can, and you can go to AFR.net, as in AmericanFamilyRadio.net, and you can re-listen and forward this on to somebody. But, Bert, I'm so excited that you and I get to uh, start the book of Galatians. And you know what? I I neglected to mention on Friday, uh, July 9th, so that was just several days ago, but that was really the anniversary of the start of this show, and we... Today, we're starting one of the most important books of the New Testament, and so, friend, you're jumping on at the right time because you're not going to miss a thing, and Galatians is just such an amazing book. Bert, do you ever, whenever you and I will embark on studying a book of the Bible, some of the just beloved, favorite verses, you mentioned Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, of course, there's, you know, that verse has been cited by so many so many times. Uh, how about Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit Amen. <laughs> is love, joy, peace, patience. You know, I think about the Galatians talks about we're set free in Christ. One very famous warning from Galatians, Galatians 6.17, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. As a man sows, so also shall he reap. There's just a lot in here. This is rich and The Apostle Paul had been a Christian about 20 years, maybe a little bit longer than that, and a lot of what Galatians talks about is the fact that we're under God's grace, we're not um, under works. There were Judaizers that wanted to add works uh, or circumcision or the Mosaic ceremonies to the Christian faith. So Paul, in, in really what you might call a corrective to some of the false teaching and really perversion of the gospel, he writes this letter, uh, verse 2 of chapter 1 says it's, quote, to the churches of Galatia. And so this, among other things, personally, there's a lot of encouragement and freedom here, but collectively, this was a fight uh, for the purity of the gospel. And this is just the Apostle Paul at his finest, I mean, really, as he... uh, is explaining the gospel, and uh, there's more I'd like to say about that, but this is, you know, every book of the Bible is the the Word of God, and as such is vitally important, but in terms of what we call New Testament Christianity, Galatians is very key, isn't it? 
It is, and you mentioned the churches of Galatia. Uh, this is interesting. It's the only book that we have that Paul wrote that is to a group. Uh, the others were to individual churches in a city like Romans or Ephesians, and then the uh, pastoral epistles to individuals, you know. But this is a collective group, and uh, Galatia is a province. Uh, it was a region, but when Rome became more and more powerful, they made it into a province to be ruled, and uh, it was on his first missionary journey that he would go into parts of Galatia. He would finish it up and, you know, go there in the second uh, missionary journey. So these are churches that probably he even influenced. He could have preached at some of them. We don't know exactly. It doesn't tell us everything about that. But these are churches that at least he knew about and had influenced because he is telling them, you have fallen from what you, they they had fallen from teaching and living by grace. And uh, they hadn't lost their salvation, but he is teaching them that. The other thing that I would say is, uh, we get one of Paul's personal testimonies here. Uh, we have five different times that Paul shares his testimony in the New Testament, three in the book of Acts, and this one here in Galatia and Galatians. And we find things about Paul uh, in this uh, particular book that we would not know anywhere else. And uh, this really made this book a personal book, Alex, where he mm -hmm. kind of takes himself off and shares truth about himself. I found that to be helpful when I'm listening to someone and they're going to preach like a series of sermons. Uh, it's good for me to hear a little bit about their personal life, how they came to Christ, yeah. where they are. And Paul does that for the church at Galatia or the churches of Galatia. Well, absolutely. He does share his testimony. And, you know, we have gone recently through the book of Acts, and a number of times in there he shared his testimony. Not only does that establish him as a speaker and a, as an authority, but I really think, just like all of us, if we recount the story of how we found Jesus and how we got saved, that's a special thing to never, ever forget, isn't it? And so uh, Paul shares his testimony, but let me read a little bit of this, um, the epistle of Paul to the Galatians. Okay, it's a letter, an epistle, and um, this was, uh, oh, he, well, Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament. He, didn't he write 13 letters? If, I, if, if I'm correct, I think you're right. Uh, yes. the, the only book that's possible at Hebrews is one of those that we don't. Uh, know specifically the author. There's those that think it's Paul, and uh, I, I don't know. There's no need of discussing that, but there's. I would say this about the, the book of Galatians. It is one of those that is so Pauline in its content yes. and everything. Uh, it comes across. This is what Paul writes about. And well, uh, it is very clear, yes. You know what's interesting? We're going to sound like professors here, I guess. Pauline, in other words, kind of the voice of Paul. And I've always, and you know, maybe this is just me, I've always sort of connected the book of Romans and the book of Galatians, because they're so clear on the gospel. They're so clear on what salvation is. Do you... Uh, in your in your mind, sort of equate those two, Bert, Romans and Galatians. I do, but I also come to Ephesians. Uh, you know, different ones. But when it comes to salvation and Paul documenting, uh, I would I'm going to use the word battling 
for the truth of the gospel, Romans and Galatians, he does. I mean, mm-hmm. he he is determined for these people, these Christians in Galatia, don't get off track. And he did right. the same thing in Rome, uh, the Romans. He, he said, man, this is the gospel. So I agree with you, Alex. When it comes to the gospel, these two are tied together. Well, and, and you know how you were talking about how um, in Galatians it says, you know, return to the truth of the gospel. That, in a way, sounds a little bit like how John in Revelation would say, return to the first works, do the first works, <laughs> yeah. lest your candlestick be removed. And that's very Yohanine, uh Revelation, and this is very Pauline, but... It begins, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Well, those first two verses, okay. Paul recognizes that his conversion and his calling, it wasn't by man, but it was by the will of God. God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, he's writing to all these churches, and Very famously in verse 3, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? Look at verse 4. The one who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, Bert, that's just the first five verses, and I'm already (laughs) wanting to shout amen. Amen. (laughs) Notice what he puts first, grace. This is going to be a theme in the book of Galatians. It is grace. It is faith. And in grace alone, through faith alone. And notice, grace precedes peace. If you're trying to find peace outside of grace, you'll not find it. And he was writing to these the Christians of Galatia and saying, you want peace, you won't find it in the law. They did, the, our forefathers didn't find it in the law. You'll find it in Christ But along with this grace, he brings peace to our hearts. You'll have peace with God, and you'll have the peace of God. And and notice, who gave himself, he did it voluntarily. Alex, Mm. uh, the father did not coerce him. Now, I remember as a child, uh, my dad had to coerce me to do a lot of things, and I'm saying that mildly, coerce, not Jesus. He voluntarily came and gave himself as the price that would be paid to redeem us from our sin. So that grace is introduced here to the churches of Galatia and saying this is what it's about. It's about grace. It's not about the law. The grace brings what the law cannot. Do you know what? I I was really just fixated on that word in verse 4 that, okay, folks, Jesus gave himself for you to be saved. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, this verb, gave, appears 416 times in the Bible, and it's always, virtually always, in terms of the things God has done for you. God gave his son, the son gave his life. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Christ gave us this ministry, you know, given us this ministry of preaching the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. Bert, here's my point. We serve a giving God, don't we? Amen. 
Alex, praise the Lord. It is so real. Why would he do that? Well, it's the rest of uh, verse 4 from this present evil age. Guess what? That was in the first century. Guess what happens in the 21st, or it be now the 21st century? It would be still this present evil age. We're still living in it. It's an evil age. But God gave that we might be delivered. In other words, there's no deliverance from where we are and who we are apart from God's gift to us, Alex. Mm, Wow. It cannot be attained. And that's the whole thing of the book of Galatians. It cannot be attained any other way. That, That divine vacuum that's in us, that empty space that's in us, cannot be filled with anything. Uh, You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, said he tried it all, you know? And he said, I've come to this. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Obey God and trust him. Alex, that hadn't changed from all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Amen. Amen. And you know what? You're right. Uh, The deliverance is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And, uh, you know, if you've ever seen Casablanca, there's this uh, uh, scene at the very end, and uh, you're, you're wanting uh, the, the girl to get on the plane uh, because there's no rescue apart from that. And I think about, you know, the urgency, the one ark of safety, the rescue, the Savior, that's Jesus. And if you've never turned to him, do that today while you have an opportunity. We're going to be back with more and verse 5. It's going to put you to wondering how, Paul was wondering, how could they have given up what they had to go something that's less than? Follow us here on Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Troy Miller, Acting Commissioner for United States Customs and Border Protection at the Department of Homeland Security. He works to advance the agency's missions of counterterrorism, border security, and economic prosperity. Psalm 4-8 reminds us of God's blessings of safety and security. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for Troy Miller at the Department of Homeland Security as he works to keep our nation safe, secure, and prosperous. In the name of Jesus, we say amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Many people think God grades on the curve. If they sin less than the next guy, they win. Dr. Tony Evans says the Bible paints a very different picture. He'll unveil it for us today as we spend two minutes with Tony. God lives in his perfections. Everything about God is perfect. So in terms of his standard, all sin has the same consequence. If you went into an operating room in a hospital, you took a handful of dirt and put it in the person who had been opened up, they would become contaminated by a handful of dirt. But let's say you just have a little bacteria on a scalpel. The same contamination that came from a lot of dirt that comes from a little invisible virus would have the same effect because of the nature of the room. So in an operating room, everything has got to be sterilized. 
The doctors and nurses have to wash their hands all the time because they understand a little virus can produce a messy situation. God is sterilized. Everything about him is perfect and he cannot dumb down his standard to make us feel better because then he wouldn't be who he is. Therefore, the issue of sin is the big issue that God must address whether it's little or whether it's great in order to address all the symptoms that we usually call on him for. Since there's no way we can meet God's standard on our own, our only hope is to let God meet it for us. That's why Jesus came to earth and sacrificed his life on the cross. To find out more, visit TonyEvans.org and click on the Jesus link in the top menu. You'll find a straightforward explanation of real Christianity and free resources to help get your new life started. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3 American Family Radio Welcome back to Exploring the Word. In a desperate place, Father, I know you can bear the weight, Father, take me in your arms as I speak your name, I lift my hands and pray. Lifting our hands and praying, thanking God for all that we have in Jesus. This is Exploring the Word. We welcome you back. We are in Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to resume our look at uh, Galatians. Hey, Bert, I do want to remind everybody that Truth for a New Generation, Apologetics, Biblical Worldview, our first post-COVID TNG event is coming up October 15 through 17, First Baptist Church, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Frank Turek will be there, Sandy Rios, E.W. Jackson, myself, more than a dozen speakers. And we're going to have just a, a general track where we talk about things like critical race theory and wokeness and how to defend the faith in the 21st century. We've got a teen track, music and speakers for young people trying to impart a biblical worldview, October 15 through 17. And if you go to alexmcfarland.com under the tab events, uh, Myrtle Beach, lots of hotels, wonderful restaurants, but Christian Worldview equipping you to stand strong, and it's coming up soon. So pray, promote, plan to attend. Amen, Alex. We're excited about it, glad it's back on track, and uh, what an opportunity it is. And I pray that you would go and and listen, you will be equipped, and that's part of the job. If you read Ephesians, yeah. it says equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And part of that doing the work is having answers to give when people ask of the faith that is in you. Well, speaking of the faith, we come to Galatians. We're in that book. The first five verses are the introduction. And most of the time, he gives a little bit more time before he jumps straight into the issue. But he is so ready to help the Galatians to know that what they're doing is not wise, it is foolish, it is not correct. And notice how he operates this and says this in verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him 
who God called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, not an alternative, a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, Mm. Alex, he does not waste any time to get into the thrust of his letter of what he wanted to do. He says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who have called you into this grace of Christ. Now, listen, here you've already identified them as Judaizers. Tell us in a small, just a real quick uh, synopsis, what, what is that? What is a Judaizer? Well, for one thing, they wanted to add circumcision to the and, and the mosaic ceremonies to their Christianity. And if you go back to Acts fifteen one, I mean, you're going to kind of see a similar thing. And we have that in in a way today. Now, Acts fifteen verse one says, "Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved." The bottom line. Uh, uh, the, the Judaization of the gospel is to add works to faith. And Bert, don't you think salvation is so beautiful and pure and simple? It's, it's so basic that maybe sometimes people actually miss it. I agree. And what this is, this is mainly Gentile territory. Paul's going to identify him later as an apostle to the Gentiles, ministering to the Gentiles. And here, these Judaizers is wanting to add and say, really, you've got to become a Jew in order to be saved. You've got to, you've got to keep the ceremonial law, which was the circumcision, the Jewish laws, in your conditional salvation. And Paul is writing against that, and that's, that's why you tie in this passage of Scripture, chapter 1, verse 6 and following, to uh, to Acts chapter 15. You put those together, and you see Paul was involved in that, what was called the Jerusalem Council, the Council mm-hmm. of Jerusalem. Yes. And it was the whole idea because you had those people saying, oh, Paul's preaching, uh, you know, another gospel. But he's going to prove that, no, it's not another gospel. Matter of fact, he's going to bring in James, John, and Peter, <laughs> as people who agree that it is by grace you're saved. Uh, mm. He's he's going to, he's tearing the Judaizers apart. Let me just say that. Well, he's I'm taking them apart something. piece by piece, isn't he? Well, when, when I think of apologetics and really uh, drawing a line in the sand about doctrinal truth, um, you know, I think about the late, great Norm Geisler. I think about Josh McDowell, you know. I think about people like J. Warner Wallace and, and you know, my friend of 25 years plus, Frank Turek, you know, and and sometimes, Bert, you and I, I mean, we have to lay the cards on the table, and every now and then I think sometimes people applaud and sometimes people might be offended. But look, the gospel is so pure, and in verse 8, I'm going to tell you, Paul lays it down. He says, but if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, 
let him be accursed. And the word is anathema. Yes. Uh, in other words, this thing of the, the Son of God paid for our sins on the cross, we cannot add to it or take away from it. It is by God's grace, and yet it's a, a you know acquired or experienced or appropriated to you by faith alone. Let me let me just say this, and some some of our uh, maybe Presbyterian listeners will appreciate this. But during the Reformation, uh, where you know thanks to the courage of of Martin Luther and others, the the simple gospel of salvation through faith was preached throughout Europe, and you and I are here today really uh, blessed by the ripple effect of the Protestant Reformation, but they talked about uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Uh, sola is the Latin word for alone, and there were, they said, five solas of the Reformation, sola scriptura, sola gratia, uh, or grace alone, fide, sola fide, through faith alone, sola Christo, Christ alone, sometimes written as solus Christus, and then soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. So here's the thing. Based on Scripture alone, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, for the glory of God alone. And uh, no works. Now, if we are saved, God does wonderful things through us, but it's by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, no no merit or effort or work that we bring to the table, is it, Bert? It is not. And I want to go back to the word accursed or anathema. It didn't say all oh, just leave them alone. Uh, he didn't say ignore them. He used the word anathema, which means to be set aside to God for destruction. Mm. Alex... In other words, if you if false teachers, we're talking about false teachers, they were perverting the gospel, a different gospel, and Paul was placing, I would say, the most severe punishment that anyone could receive for those that would pervert the gospel. And yeah. he said, let them be accursed. And matter of fact, verse 9 is basically repeating verse 8, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. I mean, I would say he was driving that point home again and again. And then he opens up with verse 10, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant to Christ. He's saying, I'm not pleasing anyone. I am only interested in Christ alone, okay? Yeah, so I think yeah. you could add another, so to, and that is pleasing God alone. In other words, that's he said, that's the one I'm accountable to. That's the one I'm going to answer to, not these men or whatever. So I seek to please the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the word bondservant. He said, I have been, th this is amazing that he'd use that word. I'm going to read another passage over here in chapter 5, verse 1. And it talks about the liberty that we have in Christ, Alex. And you know what he says now. He says, I, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, he is a bondservant. But listen what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made us free. Now, <laughs> bondservant and freedom. 
the way you really get free is to become a bondservant of Jesus Christ who gives that freedom. Uh, in the, there were millions of slaves in the Roman Empire. And right. someone could buy a slave. They would either buy that slave in order to let them serve them, be a slave to them, or some would buy those slaves and set them free or redeem them. And here he says, I choose to be that servant. I've been set at liberty and I'm free so I can be that bond servant. And honestly, being that bond servant really set Paul free, did it not? Well, it really did. It, it really did. And and let me just say something, and I don't want to belabor this point, but there was an article uh, on a major secular news platform over the weekend um, when evangelical snowflakes censor the Bible. The English Standard Version goes PC, the ESV. And publishers, due to the... Um, really the influence of certain, you know, young adults. Uh, there's a lot of words that are up for grabs right now uh, that they're wanting to take out of the Bible because, um, you know, politically correct uh, millennials and younger might find it offensive. Now, over the weekend, there were some denominational leaders, that, and regarding the subject of homosexuality, they said, well, the Bible, it's not a big deal. The Bible whispers about it. Paul says this, he says, look, if I'm seeking to placate men, the word is, do I now persuade men or God? That's verse 10. The word is really placate. Am I trying to, you know, just appease somebody or serve God? If I am seeking to please men, I am not the servant of Christ. Now, look, none of us like our toes stepped on necessarily. But Bert, I've got to say this, as a Christian and certainly as a minister, and every publisher that uh, aspires to be a Christian publisher, we had better proclaim the Word of God as written, or we're not really serving the Lord. Preach it, and, brother. And I want to tell you something, folks. Look, um, does the, the does the Bible whisper about homosexuality? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if that's your sin and you don't turn from it, you won't go to heaven. Uh, I, I don't think Paul was using his whisper voice. I think he was shouting that you must repent and be saved. And so, listen, uh, sin is sin, and we're all sinners apart from Christ. But the church in America had better make a decision. Are we about pleasing, itching ears of lost men, or are we about obeying and serving faithfully the God before whom we all will appear one day? There's and, heels to die on, Alex. Yes. And when you hear us say this, it's not we hate homosexuals. We don't. Christ loves them, and he's put a love in our heart for them to share the truth, to know the truth, and let that truth of Jesus Christ set them free to be who God called them to be. God did not make you or call you to be a homosexual. I just say that straight out of the Word of God. There may have been some things in your life that has caused you to choose to go that way, but yet God loves you. He has a great plan for your life, and much of that plan is deliverance, not to stay in your sin. God did not save us so we would stay in our sin. God saved us to deliver us from our sin. That means results. It means that we come out of that sin 
It means we may struggle with it. I understand that. A lot of people struggle with that. But, Alex, the Bible makes it plain that God wants people to be saved no matter who they are. God's not willing that any should perish. So God doesn't want you to perish. If you're a homosexual today, if you're listening, you think you're transgender, listen, God made you who you are to be who you are in Christ Jesus, not to be be formed into something the world says you can't help, but he came to transform you into being that person God has designed you to be. And it was not a homosexual or transgender. Listen, the agenda that they have is sinful, but the homosexual person that wants to come out of that, there's deliverance, and it is in Christ and in Christ alone. In verse 11, Paul goes on, he says, I certify you, or I I assure you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not of man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, folks, this gospel that God loves you, but, uh, you know, Jew, Gentile, gay, straight, drunk, sober, look, everybody must be born again. That's not something man dreamed up. This is not man's gospel. But as Paul says, it was the revelation of a loving Savior, Jesus Christ. For And he goes on, he says, you've heard about my life. And he says, beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God, laid waste to it. And he said in verse 14, I profited in the religion of Judaism above all of his equals. In other words, Paul said, He was religious, but he still needed to be born again, didn't he? He needed to be born again. And if you need to be born again, I pray you'd ask God right now, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. Jesus died on the cross. I receive him into my life. Hey, we want to take your phone call. That number, 888-589-8840. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. You've got Christians who love Jesus and they have kids and they're just like, I just don't know what my calling is. Right. Will and Mickey Addison. What is it and that Jesus wants me to do? I feel man. like I'm a teacher. And that's I feel wh- like that's I'm a why, great- <laughs> That's why when you go to the scripture and talk about yeah. equipping the saints for work of ministry, Come on. you should look inside first. It can exactly. mean right you know, at your address. Marriage, family, and the church. That's the focus of airing the Addisons. Weekday afternoons at 2 Central on American Family Radio. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines socialism as an economic system in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. The distribution of goods are controlled by the state. It is a system where there is no private property. A stage of society in Marxist theory transitional between capitalism and communism. American socialists put the descriptor democratic in front of socialism because they hope to persuade you to vote for the elimination of private property. Make no mistake, socialism is socialism. 
There is no kinder, gentler form of it. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. In Luke 5, verse 20, Jesus said to a paralytic, Man, your sins are forgiven you. After a hard winter, Michelle and I have been pulling out old dead plants from our backyard. We load up a trash can with as many dead plants as we can, and we take the can to the street. Then the trash company comes and takes it away. With the ugliness gone, we can go back into the yard and replant life. Confessing our sin is just like pushing it out to the curb and saying, God, here it is. Then God carries it away, leaving you clean and ready to be filled with His strength and His power. Next time you see your trash being dumped, remember, God does an even greater job with your sin. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Just give me Jesus. Oh, in Galatians chapter 1, I, I love in verse 15, 16, when Paul talks about it, please God, he was separated from birth to be the apostle that he was. And it says, at just the right time, Galatians 1, 16, God chose, quote, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. You know, Bert, we often talk about getting saved or that was the time I found the Lord. But Paul says at, at this precise moment, God revealed his son in me. So here's my question, folks. Has, has Jesus been revealed to you? Do you know that God loves you because he does and Jesus gave his life for you? Uh, don't we pray that Christ will be revealed to many people this day? Amen. And how were they here without a preacher? Uh, share your word. I heard somebody say they'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another song, You're the Only Bible. Some people read, Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Be a witness and be a testimony. Let God have his way in your life. Hey, we're going to go to the phone calls and we're going to get as many calls as we can. We go to Mississippi and talk to Tracy. Tracy, welcome. Good afternoon, brothers, and God bless you. Good afternoon. You. Good to have you on, brother. I called Friday, and I think it probably worked out that the call ended up going through today. Uh, based on what Paul said about those who preach a false gospel and, and offering them up for God's judgment, the question I had on Friday involved the imprecatory Psalms and David's specific prayers for God's judgment against his enemies. I would like your opinion on if and when prayers for God's judgment on his enemies, and his enemies are abundant in our nation today, if those prayers are appropriate for the New Testament church today. Oh, wow, Tracy. Uh, thank you for calling back. I saw what you were asking, and I asked you to call back because I, I really do that. I believe they're still the Word of God. I still believe they're applicable. I think we can do that by first saying, Lord, open their eyes 
And uh, but yet, when their eyes are not opened, judgment, Alex. Uh, I, I I don't know how to say this. Other, I don't want to soften the word of God, but I do want to put mercy in with that. But mm-hmm. when they're distorting the gospel, now there's a. This is the height of it, guys. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul makes it plain. The gospel, distorting the gospel, is the worst, I think, perversion there can be. There's other perversions. They're evil as well. But perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe Paul makes it plain. That's about as severe as you can get. Alex? Yeah, you know what, um, Tracy, I'm glad you bring this up because this is something you really don't hear talked about much. There are at least 14 psalms that are known by scholars as the imprecatory psalms, praying for judgment on the enemies of God, the enemies of truth, and the enemies of God's followers. Now, on at least four occasions, Jesus quotes from these imprecatory psalms. So they're definitely sanctioned by Christ. But let me just say this. Um, You know, God judge these enemies and, you know, uh, confront them that fight you. These are never cited out of, like, malice or vindictiveness. What, What it really is, while it does invoke the power of God for truth and against the servants of error, Bert, uh, like you say, there's grace. Uh, it's it's a desire for truth. It's a desire for God's justice, and it's it's really these were written and I think prayed and cried out, not out of anything vindictive or retribution, but so that souls would be saved. Now I think about in our day, there's there's so much darkness and error and twisting and just heresy that if we do read and reflect on these or preach on these, it's because our hearts break that lost people are leading other people into the darkness too. Let me make this, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. The homosexual agenda, I pray for its destruction. I pray for the homosexual agenda to be cast down and understood as evil but I pray for the homosexual person that they will be delivered. Now, what happens, a lot of the world does not understand that. They say, and it goes back to the cliche, love the sinner and hate the sin. You know, uh, I understand people, that's just a cliche. But those imprecatory psalms pray for the destruction of the system, the evil system that is there. But those individuals pray God would call them out. He is wanting them to come to him. That's that's as good as I can do, Tracy. Thank you for your call. That's and a good I question. appreciate it was. I it was one of the best calls I think uh, that I've been on since I've been here to ask that question. It really challenged my thinking. Marty in Mississippi, welcome. Hey, yes, sir, guys. Thank you for your program. Um I have um a question that um about the sinner's prayer. Do you have any scripture that says pray this sinner's prayer and you're saved? Um, a lot of times we, we stop with with repent and believe, and we say say this prayer, and if you're sincere in your prayer or repeat these words after me that you're saved. Do you think that may be misleading, especially teenagers that are possibly might be doing this on behalf of their friends 
for an emotional uh, ride instead of the Holy Spirit drawing them to himself? Marty, uh, great question again. We're getting some great questions. I go to the Philippian jailer, and God had done his work. I, I just, I believe, I remember going out. Our, our program was called, uh, you know, about witnessing. You can do it in many ways. But we would go out, and we would pray, Lord, go before us. The people that we're going to witness to, whether it's on the street or in a parking lot or in their home, Lord, go before us and do your work. When you read Philippian, about the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, God was doing his work. They were singing hymns. I don't know what all the songs were, but this Philippian jailer heard enough that when the earthquake happened and their bonds were free, and he went in there and found out when he was going to kill himself, and they said, do yourself no harm. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Now, Alex, again, God looks upon the heart, and uh, if we think that our words are just simply because of what we pray for somebody is going to happen, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in those people's lives to call them out, but it's our voice that lets them hear truth. Uh, yes, uh, and you know what? The, the caller makes a great point, and you know, to be balanced, let me say this, you know, the Bible is clear, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans ten thirteen, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But we have this thing called the sinner's prayer, which really, as far as I can tell, Bert, that was a phrase, John Bunyan, it's in Pilgrim's Progress in 1678, um, you see the term, the sinner's prayer. Now, little bit of American church history here in the you know 18th and 19th centuries there were a lot of revivalist Jonathan Edwards and up through you know Charles Finney and D.L. Moody and others um, and there was a thing in churches called the mourners bench Bert have you ever heard of that you better believe it yes I, I was in a church in North Carolina about a 250 year old church and there was a, a thing on the side if you were facing the pulpit it was over on the left and the person showing me this historical sanctuary said that's the mourner's bench and people used to come forward and um there there was another term pray through you know you don't hear that too much anymore but people were called to come and confess their sins and turn to christ now i want to be clear it's not reciting a, a paragraph of words that saves you you're you're saved by you turn from sin to christ you put your faith in christ and the, the same transaction takes place. You are putting your trust in Jesus, and, and the Spirit of God regenerates you, and your sins are washed away, and you're made alive. And Bert, I'm just going to say this. I don't have a problem with the phrase, the sinner's prayer, but at the same time, we've got to understand what people are doing. They are making a, a conscious choice to put their faith in Jesus. They're, they're admitting that they're a sinner, and maybe somebody listening even now, and you need to make sure of this. But you're saying, Lord, I agree. I agree with you. I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin, and I turn from it, and I'm trusting Jesus. He said he is the Son of God, and I believe that, and he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm accepting what you did as the payment. Lord, please save me now. And so it's not uh, just reciting the words, but it's really putting your faith in Jesus alone to be your, your forgiver 
and your Lord and your master from this point forward. Amen. Marty, thank you. I Let me tell you, just let them know it's a choice. It's, a, it's calling the Holy Spirit. It's not the words you say. It says believe in your heart, and then you confess with your mouth what is transpired within you as God's called you out. Let's go to Virginia and talk to Neil. Neil, welcome. Hey, Alex and Bert. I just want to let you know I, I love you guys and thank you for what you do. Um, well, bless you, brother. My, my question is uh, kind of along the lines of witnessing as well. And when you're on the topic of, of homosexuality, and I've, you know, I'm not always eloquent with my words when I'm trying to talk with somebody, or, but, um, you know, and I've heard this question asked before, and just want to get your take on it. Um, you know, it, I've heard people say well, that God created us from the beginning. He knew us before the beginning of time. And so why would he create us as a homosexual? Or And I know it's, I know it's a choice, but that question is always, I hear it asked a lot. And I just, I don't know how to respond to it all the time. So I just kind of like some input um, from you guys on, on, you know, something simple or just a way to go about it. Thank you, Neil. Hey, Alex, uh, the gospel is good for anyone. And part mm-hmm. of it is repentance really is, turning away from sin. And uh, if they start throwing up the excuse, God made me this way, I'm a homosexual, or uh, I'm really a, a, a man in a woman's body or whatever, do you have to uh, Do you have to answer that specifically before you go further? Well, you know, I, I think that it's, it's fine to talk about these things, um, but I, th- I think when you're sharing the gospel, keep it on Jesus, because the fact is we've all known the right and done the wrong. Uh, we're sinners. Do you know what? We would need to be born again, even if we had lived a perfect life, which no one has, but even if we did, we still would need to be born again by faith in Jesus because we have the guilt of Adam and Eve. I mean, we have an inheritance. Every last one of us comes into this world, and you, you may not inherit land or a fortune, but you and I have inherited the guilt of Adam and Eve. And then we do sinful deeds on top of that. So sometimes we've said this, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice. So we need to be saved through Jesus. But you know what, let me just say this, Bert, I, I, I love to try to really keep it on Jesus when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, keep it on Jesus. But even the person who says, well, you know, I was born this way, or I, I can't help what I do because that's just, I came up hard, whatever. Romans one twenty says, look, we are without excuse. The most ardent gay activist knows deep inside that what they're doing is wrong, just like a promiscuous heterosexual. And I've talked with some serial adulterers, and deep in their heart they know it's wrong. So one thing I think the church's job, I want to say this, we'll go to the next call. I think what we, the church, need to be doing in this era, among other things, is praying for Holy Spirit conviction, that not, not that we would legitimize sin, but that we would acknowledge it and turn from it. Amen. Okay, we hope that helps. We're going to take one more call. Ginger from Mississippi. Uh, Ginger, make it as quickly as you can. Time is running close to the end. Yes, um, I just want you to kind of give me a little in, a little bit more insight on First Samuel sixteen fourteen, where after Samuel now anoints David and the Spirit comes on uh, David, 
and it leaves Saul, and God sends an evil spirit to torment Saul, that just kind of, I just need a little bit more insight on God sending an evil spirit. Okay, the anointing Mm. spirit came upon in those days to do the work. There wasn't the abiding Holy Spirit. It was the spirit that would come upon, and that would do. When that spirit leaves, it leaves a vacuum, Alex. Uh, You know, does that vacuum, is it, uh, does God send that evil spirit, or does that evil spirit come because that's the way God works? Well, you know, what's interesting, I think a, a, a enlightening part of this is when you look at verse uh, 13, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David uh, from that point on, but the Spirit of the Lord left Saul. And, you know, it says that uh, an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him or disturbed him. Now, there, there are no evil spirits in the Lord, obviously, because God is the Spirit of truth. But God allowed, God allowed, and what's interesting in the case of Saul, because Saul was in known sin and he was unrepentant, you know, it could have been partly demonic, partly emotional, sometimes the way, and it really means a distressing spirit, but sometimes the way that we fall under judgment is God lets our own choices happen to us, doesn't he? He does. Think of Pharaoh. Uh, yes, it says God hardened his heart, but the way he did that, as as Pharaoh would harden his own heart, God exactly. would give him an opportunity, and he'd say no. It was hardening his heart. God let him harden his own heart by permitting him more choices. And that evil, that good spirit, the anointing spirit of the Lord, left him, and it left that vacancy. Do you remember that demon over in the New Testament came yeah. back, found it empty? And uh, yes, that is true. Hey, thank you, you for... Go ahead, Alex. Take us Such out. judgment only comes about after multiple opportunities for forgiveness have been rejected. But, Bert, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but folks, this is Exploring the Word. Tune in for more of Galatians tomorrow. God bless you, and thanks for listening.